you guys flickers of fear time once again if you hear some weird noises in the background it's like wind outside for some reason it's like really really windy i don't know why but so sometimes you can hear it so if you can hear it that's what that is so today let's talk about uh this fairly recent movie right here so now back when we used to have our amc stubs membership uh which we actually pretty recently canceled mostly because well two reasons because i couldn't really afford it anymore uh and we moved much farther away from the movie theater so we found that we were never going so we were essentially paying for nothing it was kind of a shame because i did like to go to the movies but you know it's just too far to drive and i couldn't justify paying that much money when usually you just have to wait a couple weeks and then the movie will turn up on vod anyway but back when we were still going to the movies, I swear to God, every single time we went to the theater, I saw the trailer for the black phone. Every fucking time, I kind of feel like. I saw it so many times. So I feel like the movie was teased forever. Um, and then like it just didn't come out and didn't come out. And I'm like, what the hell is going on with that stuff? What ended up happening with it, like I looked it up later, I guess it was first scheduled for wide release back in like late January of 2022, but then it got pushed back to February and then it got pushed back to like June 24th. So I think that's when it finally came out, like in summer of 2022. So I think that's probably why I had the perception that it was like never coming out because probably we had been going to the movies like in late 2021 and they were probably like hyping it then. And then I was just like, where the fuck is this movie? Like it never came out. So when it finally did come out by the time summer of 2022 came around you know we'd already moved out here we weren't really going to the theater all that often so you know we just never got around to seeing it so then i kind of like forgot about it until the other day when i was scrolling through amazon prime and i was like oh hey they added it to streaming i think it was actually on peacock before that but you know which i do check sometimes but i hadn't checked it for whatever reason but i did see it on amazon prime because i do have a membership to that so i was like oh i was like kind of excited about it because honestly the trailer for this looked pretty good and it's like usually i like uh blumhouse and i like ethan hawk and you know it just looked like a cool concept so i was excited to watch it so as i said this is a blumhouse uh production they were the, the you know the they were the releasing company on it and it was directed by scott derrickson who is the man responsible for the quite excellent horror films sinister and the exorcism of emily rose i think he also did the first doctor strange movie in 2016 and i think he was also supposed to do the second one like the multiverse of madness or whatever but like he left because of creative differences so he went and like worked on this one which actually is cool because this seems like more in his wheelhouse i guess i haven't seen dr strange i don't know if it's good like i'm not the marvel movies are fine i'm just like not a real big marvel person or i don't really like big tentpole movies kind of thing so anyway i really like that he kind of went back to like a more indie horror type situation so the black phone was actually based on a 2004 short story by joe hill who, as pretty much everybody that's watching this probably knows, is Stephen King's son, as well as a best-selling author in his own right. So I will say that The Black Phone does have something of veneer of what you might call Stephen Kinginess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you got, you know, a abusive alcoholic dad. You got, like, a bunch of bullying, like, you know, boys bullying each other, kids with psychic powers, that kind of stuff. But it also kind of also has its own thing going on. And I have to say that I really liked the whole downbeat 1970s vibe of it. I think that was one of my favorite things about it. Now, I will say that the trailer, if you've seen it, and like I said, if you went to the movies at all, like in late 2021 or early 2022, it was very, very hard to avoid because they showed it all the time. 
but um, I feel like it gave a lot of the story away. So if you saw the trailer, it's like not it's not going to be like super, super surprising. I think there is more depth to the movie than what it showed in the trailer, but the movie's pretty straightforward, which actually was another thing that I kind of liked about it. It wasn't all that complicated. Like it was a pretty simple story. It was a pretty straightforward story, but it was done well. And it was like, had some depth and layers to it, but nothing too abstract or nothing like that. So I'm going to say that even though the trailer kind of shows how the movie goes, essentially, I don't think the movie overall like suffered as a result of that. I mean, because while the movie isn't really, it's not like a masterpiece or anything like that, but as I said, it does have a lot more interesting layers to it and a better thought out structure to it than maybe a lot of other mainstream horror movies do. It also went a little bit darker thematically, I think, than I was expecting, just in terms of showing child abuse and bullying in like a really grounded and very, very realistic kind of way, so much so that it was kind of like uncomfortable to watch. So I feel like Ethan Hawke got most of the marketing attention uh, around this movie, I guess. Like it's his face on the poster, he's the bad guy. And it was kind of like a big deal because I think prior to this, he'd had kind of a rule where he didn't play villains. So I think as far as I know, this might be the first movie where he played an out and out villain, like a child killer. So I do feel like he got most of the marketing thing because he's the biggest star obviously, but I mean, and I'm not going to complain too much about that because his performance in this movie is pretty great. But the story here really belongs to the kid characters and focuses more on their struggles. Like Ethan Hawke's villain, like the child killer, doesn't really have as much screen time as they do. And he doesn't even really feature in the story, like to any significant degree until about 40 minutes in or so, like maybe about halfway. I mean, and this is a horror movie, sure, but to be honest, I kind of feel like it's more properly classified as maybe like a thriller or maybe like a dark coming of age drama with horror and supernatural elements. Cause there is supernatural elements in it. It does have horror elements in it, but I don't know if I'd call it like an out and out horror film. But again, that's kind of one of the things that I liked about it. So like, don't go into this expecting it to be like a straight up slasher flick or anything like that. One review of it I read called it Silence of the Lambs meets The Sixth Sense, which it's not a perfect comparison, but it's definitely in that same ballpark. You know what I mean? So the story is set in Denver, Colorado in 1978. And it centers mostly around a boy named Finney Blake, who's played by Mason Thames, I guess is how you pronounce his last name, even though I always want to say Thames, because that's how the river is spelled. He has a younger sister named Gwen, who's played by Madeline McGraw, and their abusive father, whose name is Terrence, who's played by Jeremy Davies. Now, the dad, like, his alcoholism and violence toward his kids have seemed to, like, they've it's only increased since his wife committed suicide sometime before. I don't think they specify how long ago it was, but I'm assuming it's fairly, fairly recent. So as if the kids don't have it bad enough, like getting their asses horribly beaten at home, they're also the target of bullies at school. And because this movie is set in the 1970s, the bullying here like does absolutely go there. I mean, these kids like beat the absolute shit out of each other and nobody does anything about it. Like I kind of feel like nowadays if kids were fighting like that, like somebody would intervene, you know what I mean? Like the parents or school authorities or cops or somebody like that, but nobody does. Like it just seems like, and that's kind of, I mean, I was alive in 1978, so this that totally does track. They were just kind of like, ah, the kids, they just fight their own battles, you know what I mean? And it's just that kind of shit. So nobody does anything about it. And these kids are like actually beating the shit out of each other. Now, Finney is kind of friends with this sort of tough kid whose name is Robin. And at one point, Robin 
like pummels this asshole older kid like you don't really care because the kid is a jerk so you're just kind of like yeah beat his ass whatever but he just like pummels this asshole kid into unconsciousness and then just keeps on beating for good i'm like oh my god is he gonna beat him to death it was just it was like that and these are kids you know what i mean they're probably like you know 12 13 i don't know i couldn't tell how old they were uh you know what i mean and robin doesn't get any trouble for this either not that i remember like in the movie and matter of fact he tells finney like not long after this incident like finney's just kind of like bro like you know he was very uncomfortable with how far that fight went he's like i thought you were gonna kill him he basically says well you're eventually gonna have to learn to stand up for yourself and for others and he basically says sometimes when it comes to bullies like you have to draw a lot of blood in order to make an impression so these themes of like savagery and cycles of abuse I mean, it's pretty prevalent throughout the whole movie. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's heavy-handed, but it's definitely not subtle. I mean, it's established, like, almost from the beginning that Finney's character arc is going to involve him having to fight for survival and learn to ultimately stand up for himself, not only by defeating the main villain, you know, the child killer, but also by breaking the cycle of abuse that's been engendered by his father's treatment of him and his sister. So in the area where Finney lives, there's an elusive killer who has been nicknamed the Grabber, and he's been snatching boys off the street. And just as would have happened in 1978, like when you didn't have the internet and like creepy shit like this was going on, uh, a bunch of urban legends have started to spring up about this killer, like including ones that are kind of more supernatural in nature. Like there's one point where they say it's like, oh, if you say his name, like he can hear you and he'll like come after you next and stuff like that. So while there is supernatural stuff going on in this movie, though, it's never really made clear if the killer has any kind of abilities in that direction. I'm thinking probably no, but the victims or at least Finney and his sister absolutely do matter of fact finney's sister gwen has dreams that are kind of like visions you know what i mean psychic visions and ever since the abduction started she's been having these kind of disjointed nightmares that seem to provide clues about some of the cases now because she told the sister of one of the kidnapped boys that she dreamed about. She's like, hey, I dreamed about your brother and she saw some black balloons. So the police actually come to school to question her because the black balloons thing, like that detail, was something they had not released to the public so they can't figure out how she knows about it. So the cops actually don't believe her about her dreams and they're kind of wondering if she might know more about the crimes that she's letting on. But she claps back at them like pretty harshly she's just like oh my god can you really think that me a little girl i'm just like yeah i'm the killer you know what i mean she's like i have dreams you know what i mean fuck off it's it's really really funny like actually she's a really really good uh character matter of fact i think gwen actually might be my favorite character now that i'm thinking about it i mean she is i can't tell how old she's supposed to be, maybe 10 but she's just this smart mouth swearing little badass and she is absolutely not afraid to stand her ground and like tell people to their faces that they're full of shit so like in that way she's kind of like a counterpoint to her brother who is kind of more subdued and fearful and he desperately wants to intervene when he sees other people being hurt such as his sister but he's afraid to whereas Gwen uh she will absolutely jump right into the mix like her brother's getting beaten up and she jumps right in there and she gets her ass kicked too by a bunch of boys which like I said totally would have happened in 1978 so it's hard to watch but it's pretty realistic so she's absolutely not afraid of getting her ass beat you know what I mean and her dad actually usually beats her up specifically 
for talking about her psychic abilities because they remind him of his late wife, who apparently also had dreams of this nature, um, which may have been a factor in her suicide. So obviously he's he doesn't want to be reminded of that, and it like you know puts him into a rage. So he will like just wail on that little girl, which is like horrible. I mean, there's one scene that's like fairly early on in the movie where Gwen's dad just like whips the fuck out of her and it's like it's brutal and it's like really real and it's really like upsetting to watch and I mean like the acting work is good all around in this but Madeline McGraw and Jeremy Davies in that scene are absolutely incredible I mean you actually buy that I mean I was really uncomfortable it was really uncomfortable for me to watch because it just seemed like it was so genuine so the grabber who he basically all they know about him is that he's like an amateur magician or he like drives a black van or something so he snatches a few kids off the street including finney's friend robin who's like the toughest kid in school now finney is actually really horrified by this because he figures hey if robin can be taken who is like the toughest kid in school then anybody could you know what i mean and at this point in the movie which is about i want to say it's maybe about halfway through maybe like a little bit less um after all of this character setup has been done because you know like the first 40 45 minutes of the movie is basically like setup of the kids you know what i mean you don't really see much of the grabber it's like you kind of see like the van and it's like you know a kid going like oh there's the van over there and then that kid disappears and so there's that kind of stuff so there's a lot of character build up with the kids so i'm just saying that it's like don't go into it expecting this to be child killer all the time because he doesn't show up until like the halfway point so um so yeah about the halfway point uh the inevitable happens and finney is himself captured by the grabber uh who throws him into a yucky basement with only a bed and there's also like a non-functional black phone title drop hanging on the wall now the grabber's interest in the boys that he takes doesn't seem overtly sexual like he's not a child molester not in the classic sense and if i could use that terminology what a weird way to put it but in parallel with finney's own father the grabber it seems like feels the need to punish the children for their transgressions like he's sort of playing a game that he calls naughty boy or like naughty boys um in essence what he'll do is he'll leave like avenues of escape like kind of obviously open to the boys and he it seems like he does it out of like carelessness but it's all part of this game like he actually wants the boys to try and escape he wants them to try and misbehave so he can beat them and kill them so he can punish them essentially and perhaps feel justified in doing so i felt like that was implicit um they don't really say that i mean the grabber is actually never given a backstory now some reviewers liked that and some didn't because some were like well i kind of wish they'd said you know what's with the magician thing and why is he doing what he's doing and what's with that but I tend to fall on the side of liking that his background was kept almost entirely a mystery because I think it made him creepier and it made you as the viewer have to deal with the killer on the same terms as his victims would because his victims wouldn't know this motherfucker or nothing like that. So, you know, there, so there was that. So I think it's better like that you didn't know anything about why he was doing what he was doing. Like there were some little hints given as to why the grabber was the way he was like for example the rotating series of masks that he wears to convey his moods those masks masks were designed by uh tom savini by the way which uh they actually are really really good but that's kind of all they are is hints and i actually thought this made the movie stronger because you know if anybody that's that's been around here a long time knows i'm a big advocate of not over explaining your villain like or your monster like it's scarier 
the less you know about them. Usually, not always, there are exceptions to that, but I think generally it's a good rule to follow. Now, once Finney realizes what's happened, he's been taken by the grabber, he's in this basement, he almost immediately becomes, like, resigned to his fate. Like, he's like, if none of the other boys escaped, like, then what chance do I have type of thing. But soon enough, the supernatural intervenes. The non-working, ostensibly, a black phone on the wall starts to ring. And when Finney answers it, he starts getting messages from essentially like the ghosts of the boys that have been murdered before him. And they tell him about their own experiences, their own, uh, you know, things that happened to them, like ways they tried to escape, like this worked, this didn't work, like avoid this, doing this, avoid doing that. Um, And they kind of just like give him general advice on how to survive and how to get out of there. Now, meanwhile, while that's all going on, Gwen is deliberately trying to have visions that will save her brother, but for a long time, like, her prayers go unanswered, because she's, like, praying to Jesus. It's kind of, like, funny. (laughs) Like, it's sad, but it's kind of funny, too, at the same time. She's, like, praying to Jesus to, like, give her, she's like, man, you're giving me all these, like, visions about, like, other people, but when it's my brother, like, you can't give me anything. But when she does finally start to have dreams about him, the details are just, like, really sketchy, and it's, like, really frustrating, but eventually, she starts to piece together enough, I guess, like actionable information to take to the cops and the cops like actually slowly start to take her gift more seriously because she does seem to know what she's talking about and some of her shit like checks out so as i mentioned i mean the black phone it's not the best horror movie ever um and it's not even particularly scary i mean it's creepy for sure but it's not like frightening or like overtly horror like the way maybe sinister was but it's a pretty solid um, dark drama, like with a horror flavor, I guess. Ethan Hawke is really great, like as the grabber, he's very unsettling, he's very menacing, and he's also kind of like socially awkward, which makes him even more creepy, you know what I mean? And he almost never shows his face because he almost always has like a mask or like part of a mask over it, which I think was really, was really cool. Uh, The kid actors in this, most of them are phenomenal, and that actually goes a long way toward you kind of getting on their side and, like, rooting for them to escape and stuff like that. And actually, like, the end, like, with the reunited, like, the brother and sister and everything like that, I kind of, like, choked up a little bit. It was, like, really, really well done. And as I mentioned, I feel like the structure of the movie is actually really well considered, like, drawing parallels between Finney's abuse at the hands of his dad and his bullies and, you know, his growth toward finding the inner strength necessary to defeat the grabber in the end. So it's kind of like a coming of age story in that way. So like I said, Uh, the movie also just kind of looks cool. It has that kind of like dour 70s vibe to it um and it also has much like Sinister had it had that those kind of like inserts of like Super 8 but in this instance uh the Super 8 it's almost kind of used it's used to um to show Gwen's visions so it gives it that little bit of like unreality or surreality which uh which really looks kind of cool I think probably the only thing I didn't love was the addition of the character of Max there was nothing wrong with like the actor or anything like that but I just thought he was a little too over the top like a little too comic relief kind of he wasn't in it much but I could have done without that but I don't know. It didn't bother me all that much. But I'm going to say, like, while I I liked the movie just fine while I was watching it, 
But I think like thinking about it afterward gave me a little bit of like a deeper appreciation of the themes that it was uh, putting across and like the way that a plot was constructed. So I think I ended up liking it even more in retrospect than it did while I was watching it, if that makes any sense. So that will do it for this Flickers of Fear. Thank you very much for watching. Remember to like and share and please comment if you enjoyed the content and I will see you guys again on the next one. Bye.